Episode of Geeks Crossing. Today's episode has been long overdue, as longtime listeners of this podcast will probably know. My first ever solo episode for this whole podcast, one of the earliest episodes we ever put out, was my countdown of my 10 picks of the best cartoons of the 2010s, since Geeks Crossing actually started not long after the end of the 2010s. Since then, I decided to do a sort of sequel episode with my favorite cartoons of the 2000s, and as the title of this episode has shown you, today we'll be doing this one more time with a top 10 list of my favorite cartoons of the 1990s. This will be the last of this little series, since the 1990s is the last decade I'm familiar with in terms of cartoons. It's bittersweet to say the least, but all good things must come to an end. Besides, even though this series is near and dear to me, there's a lot I would change if I were to go back and do it again. A lot of the placements in the cartoons of the 2010s list, particularly, I, I think I'd change. Still, I find it kind of funny how it all worked out. Each season of Geeks Crossing had one of these little episodes. But while 2010 cartoons and 2000s cartoons are both celebrated in their own right due to a combination of nostalgia and high caliber, 90s cartoons take that to a whole new level. Nostalgia is an industry, and I'd say roughly every 20 to 30 years, a new decade gets added to the nostalgia craze, with people fondly recalling and celebrating the music, movies, fashion, and culture of whatever decade captures their attention. We've seen this happen with 50s doo-wop, sock-hop culture, 60s Beatlemania, 70s disco fever, and, I think the previous champion of nostalgia selling, the 80s, which has brought us everything from remakes, sequels, and prequels, and reboots, of 80s IPs like Star Wars and the Ghostbusters, to a return of 80s fashion, to full-on TV shows like The Goldbergs and Stranger Things, which love nothing more than to remind you of the decade in which they take place. But it's all about the 90s now. The other geeks and I are all late 90s babies, and I can definitely remember growing up on an internet where this was touted as a fact of high status. Hollywood is beginning to really get into the 90s nostalgia craze, ordering all sorts of sequels and remakes, such as those new Jurassic Park movies, or that recent Bill and Ted romp, and whatever the heck that Home Alone reboot's supposed to be. As such, 90s cartoons have been seeing a real resurgence in pop culture, starting in the mid-2010s. I actually remember getting a shirt for Christmas one year that said 90s kid, and pictured a bunch of different cartoon cartoon characters, like Johnny Bravo and I Am Weasel and the like. It was a nice shirt, I wore it every now and then, but to be honest, I really didn't have too much of an attraction with cartoon cartoons or really many 90s cartoons in general. Like I said, I was a late 90s kid. By the time I could regularly walk by myself, the 90s were over. And when I first upgraded from young children's shows to mostly ageless cartoons, almost all of the cartoon cartoons had ended. So my knowledge of 90s cartoons comes from a mix of two different types of shows. Shows that started in the 90s, mostly the late 90s, and continued on into the 2000s, maybe even the 2010s, and shows that aired and ended in the 90s that I discovered and watched later in life. This is the reason there will never be a best cartoons of the 1980s. Frankly, I haven't really seen or heard of anything that interesting from that decade, and I don't really have much of an interest in going back and checking it out. But I did manage to scrounge together enough 90s cartoons that I really like in order to make this list. Keep in mind, as I did for my previous two lists like this, that I judge shows by air date, not by prominent runtime. Even though Total Drama aired well into the 2010s, and I guess the 2020s pretty soon, I still count it as a 2000s show since it premiered in 2007. 
It's easier to organize cartoons this way since there's always a concrete date I can work with. And our only other disclaimer, a disclaimer I really haven't brought up before, is that this list, just like my cartoons of the 2000s and 2010s, focuses on Western animation exclusively. I've only watched a handful of animes, and one of my favorites as a kid, the Pokemon anime, would technically be eligible for this list. That said, I figured I'd make it more in line with my other two episodes, which included no anime, and keep this one anime-free as well. I don't think I'll ever watch enough anime to make a top 10 best anime of each decade, or maybe even a top 10 best anime in general. That might not be a bad idea for Keith, though, if he ever wanted to do something in this format. Shout out to Keith! So now that we've explained the rules, let's begin our romp through the truly terrific cartoons of the 1990s. Starting off our list of honorable mentions, we've got The Wild Thornberries, which premiered on Nickelodeon in 1998. A funny thing I discovered while organizing this list is that, even though 1990s Cartoon Network largely didn't appeal to me that much, I was actually quite fond of a lot of 90s Nicktoons, and that will definitely be reflected on this list. This show was made by Klasky Supo, you know, that animation studio with the terrifying logo after the credits. The Wild Thornberries followed a very unique family of nature documentary filmmakers, a husband and wife who travel the world interacting with animal life, along with their children, the too-cool-for-school teen Debbie, the adopted wild boy Donnie, and the inquisitive Eliza, who has the gift of being able to speak to animals, and an adopted pet chimpanzee named Darwin. As I've already established on this podcast, I'm a huge animal lover, and I'm fascinated in learning more about nearly any creature capable of movement, so this show should have been right up my alley. However, I guess it didn't air enough reruns when I was growing up, because I don't remember watching too much of it. Maybe I thought it was a girl's show, because uh, there was a girl protagonist? I really don't know. From what I remember, I enjoy, but I don't remember enough to give this show a spot on the list. Next honorable mention is The Angry Beavers, which aired on Nickelodeon in 1997. Doesn't get much more 90s cartoon than The Angry Beavers. Two dumb, petty little beaver brothers, Norbert and Daggett, goofing off and annoying each other, going on wacky misadventures. This is the kind of show I bet earlier 90s kids would wake up to with a bowl of cereal. It was a funny enough show from the reruns I watched, but I just don't think it's particularly iconic or memorable. Definitely a fun time, I'm sure, but not a show I would ever really think about watching again. We're moving away from Cartoon Network for the first time to talk about Dexter's Laboratory, which premiered on Cartoon Network in 1996. It followed the titular Dexter, a child genius who concocts experiments in his secret underground laboratory and deals with his own experiments gone haywire, his completely unknowing parents, his annoying sister, and his various rivals, such as fellow inventor Mandark. I know I said cartoon cartoons weren't a huge part of my childhood, but Dexter's Lab was one of the exceptions, and even then, I didn't really watch it that much. I liked what I saw of it, and I especially love Gendy Tartakovsky and his fantastic art style, but this show just never captured my attention, at least not enough for me to ever get excited about binging it, even as a kid. We'll be sticking with Cartoon Network for my final true honorable mention. That's right, only four actual honorable mentions this time around. Like I said, I didn't consume a ton of 90s content, so I guess this shouldn't come as a surprise. Anyway, this selection is The Powerpuff Girls, which debuted on Cartoon Network in 1998. The series follows a crime-fighting group of girls created in a lab by Professor Utonium, and a lot of the humor for this series was the juxtaposition between these sweet little kids and their incredibly violent fighting prowess, which was dished out on iconic villains like Fuzzy Lumpkins, the Gangrene Gang, Princess Morbucks, him, and Mojo Jojo. The Powerpuff Girls is the first creation of Craig McCracken, who I am a huge fan of, as both Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and Wander Over Yonder made it pretty high on my other two lists, but I actually think The Powerpuff Girls is my least favorite among his shows. That's not to say it isn't good. It's just picking the worst out of a group of things I really like. The art style's really nice, the characters seem fun, and from what I remember of the show I remember liking, but the animation hasn't aged tremendously in my opinion. I guess maybe that's part of the charm. 
And if you think that as a kid I ignored the wild thornberries because I thought it was just a little too girly, you can imagine I wasn't jumping up every Saturday morning to watch the Powerpuff Girls draw hearts and play with dolls. A lot of people regard this as a pretty incredible cartoon, one of the best Western cartoons in general. The series got rave reviews among children and adults, even when it was Aaron, which I personally kind of find funny given that McCracken's wife, Lauren Faust, would go on to create a cartoon that did the same thing with that My Little Pony show. I can see where the love is coming from, I really do, but frankly I just don't have the interest in re-watching all of the Powerpuff Girls to see if I feel the same way. The series did have a theatrical film, an origin story to Mojo Jojo, and a prequel to the series. I remember that movie being pretty awesome. I don't know. I think this is probably a terrific cartoon. Maybe this is my honorary number 11 spot. And I don't doubt it's above and beyond all those cheap reboots of the Powerpuff Girls they keep trying to pump out. I just really don't want to put in the effort to go back and check. If you think that's unreasonable, let me know in the Discord. Maybe I'll give it another try. You can recommend me an episode or your favorite episodes to watch. I don't know, man. There's just something about being 23 and watching the Powerpuff Girls that just doesn't sit right with me. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I don't know. But before we get to the proper list, I want to mention some other critically acclaimed 90s cartoons that I just didn't get around to watching before I made this list, or I've watched very, very little of, similar to what I did in my honorable mentions list on my Cartoons of the 2000s episode. In this case, big shout out to Animaniacs, Goof Troop, Recess, Rocco's Modern Life, Freakazoid, and Batman the Animated Series. Those last two in particular I really wanted to check out since... I've heard Freakazoid is hilarious, and I'm looking to get it more into Batman stuff. Oh, plus Eric and I watched a Recess movie together, and I do very vaguely remember the series. Not enough to give it a spot on this list, though. Now that we've gotten through the almosts, let's talk about what I consider to be the 10 best 90s cartoons I've ever had the pleasure of watching. Number 10, Rocket Power. This show comes from that late 90s, early 2000s era where nobody could get enough of extreme sports. You know, the Tony Hawk era, if you will. <laughs> Rocket Power was made by Klasky Supo, a decade-spanning animation studio. I already brought it up. It honestly might be subject for a Renaissance Mad episode somewhere down the line. And Rocket Power premiered on Nickelodeon in 1999. Yeah, 8 out of the 10 spots in this list are made up of late 90s cartoons. In fact, six of the cartoons on this list premiered in 1999, including Rocket Power, just barely earning themselves the label of 90s cartoon. But hey, at least by my standards, that counts. <laughs> Rocket Power followed the adventures of four friends, Sam, Otto, Reggie, and Twister, as they skateboard, rollerblade, surf, and cycle their way around their fictional hometown of Ocean Shores, California. They hang out at the Surf Shack, a small restaurant owned and operated by Otto and Reggie's dad, Raimundo, and his good friend and business partner, Tito. This is basically one of those cookie-cutter, cool 90s shows. I mean, you got cool kids skateboarding around, surfing on the beach, learning about friendship. It was the whole nine yards. And though the extreme sports stuff has gone the way of Tony Hawk in our broad pop culture, not really at the forefront of what's hip anymore, I still think it was smart for Rocket Power to go this route, as it definitely adds to the charm of the show, keeps it in our imagination. One reason why it took so long for this episode to be written and released is because I wanted to do some more quote-unquote research by watching cartoons I'd never watched or only seen very little of. Rocket Power wasn't one of those shows, but our number nine cartoon is. This is where I've ranked Dilbert, which aired on the now-defunct network UPN, whose owners now air their content on the CW. For my non-American listeners, Dilbert is one of the most popular comic strips in the United States and has been fairly prominent for some time. Sure, that doesn't mean as much, since newspaper comics are going the way of the dodo, but if you pick up the funny pages, chances are you'll see Dilbert, which follows the adventures of a frustrated office worker named Dilbert, as he deals with the oddities and inconveniences of office life, alongside annoying co-workers, a bumbling boss, and a somewhat sociopathic dog named Dogbert. 
Well, in 1999, the cartoonist Scott Adams was given the opportunity to turn his comic strip into an animated series. I had seen some clips of the show and decided to give it a watch earlier in 2021. There were only two seasons produced, 30 episodes total, so I figured it would be easy to tackle. To my surprise, it's quite a funny show. It follows the themes of the comic strip, and the writing feels like it jumped right off the newspaper. The first season follows a season-long story arc about the corporation launching a new product, an idea pretty much unheard of for cartoons at the time, so they deserve props for that. The second season contains more self-contained episodes, but honestly, they're pretty funny too, such as when Wally accidentally starts a cult, or the one where Dogbert creates a fake disease just so he can write a book about how to deal with it. The voice cast is pretty great. Some of my favorites include Larry Miller as the pointy-haired boss, the late Gordon Hunt as Wally. Apparently, Dilbert's voice actor, Daniel Stern, is the guy who played the burglar Marv in the original Home Alone movies. Other cast members, namely Kathy Griffin as Alice, haven't aged as well. <laughs> and the show also scores some pretty great cameo and recurring celebrity guests, such as Jerry Seinfeld, John Favreau, Jay Leno, and Jason Alexander as the recurring Catbert, the evil director of human resources. Dilbert is somewhat cynical and misanthropic, but at times very witty and often just laugh-out-loud silly, pretty much exactly like the comic. This isn't the best cartoon of the 90s, but it's quite a funny romp, and I recommend you check it out if you've never seen it. If I ever made a top 10 cartoons of the 1980s list, which I don't think I ever will, The Simpsons would get the number one spot hands down. In fact, it just barely misses the mark of being considered a 90s cartoon by this list's standards. Having only one single solitary episode, its debut, released at the very end of 1989, before episode 2 picked up in January 1990. But rules are rules, and I must abide by my terms. That said, though The Simpsons can't be on this list, its bastard child Family Guy is allowed to claim the number 8 spot on this list. Debuting nearly 10 years after The Simpsons, airing on Fox in 1999, there's not much to be said about America's second favorite animated family of the 90s, seeing how well-known it is. But for those of you who've never seen it, I'll delve into the synopsis. Peter Griffin, a fat dumb guy with a heart of gold who likes beer and TV, is a family guy. His family consisting of overworked housewife Lois, dopey son Chris, more caring and often ignored, misunderstood daughter Meg, evil genius baby Stewie, and voice of reason Brian, the family's talking pet dog. Okay, you can probably see some of the cues this show takes from The Simpsons fairly quickly, but to be fair, by the time Family Guy premiered, The Simpsons had just finished its 10th season, so you could understand why some people might have been itching for a fresher take on the formula. Those people would not be happy to learn that The Simpsons just premiered its 33rd season, but I digress. Family Guy was a fun new take on the animated family sitcom, with new writers and voice actors compared to The Simpsons, keeping a lot of the heart, but introducing a new sense of humor, including some funny topical cutaway gags at the time. Some personal favorites of mine from this time period include the episode where Death comes to claim Peter, but twists his ankle and has to rest on the Griffin couch. Rest in peace, Norm McDonald's, who coined the character. As well as the episode where Peter dons the persona of a cool high school teen to try and battle a new drug craze at Meg's school. This is such a fun show, why is it only at number 8? If you keep up with Family Guy, I'm sure you can already see where this is going. Including honorable mentions, this is the first show on the list that's still airing today, and it is suffering for it. I've brought up Seasonal Rot in both prior lists of this little series, the idea that the longer a show goes on, the more the writers will run out of steam, or move on to other projects and dump the work on newer writers who don't know the show as well, and the series takes a nosedive in quality. The Amazing World of Gumball and Adventure Time suffered a bit from it, Total Drama suffered from it, but I don't actually think the rot in those cases was horrible. 
Okay, maybe in Total Drama's case, but I'm willing to excuse it as really bad writing choices, not a series past its prime. Family Guy is, quite definitively, a series past its prime. When people ask me about Seasonal Rod, I pretty much just say Family Guy as a way to explain the term. The show has exhausted its original goal of exploring the Griffin family dynamic and dumbed down every character and concept in the more than 10 seasons since. Everyone has gone through the same plots a million times, and every character has become so exhaustively flanderized. Peter going from a dope to a tool, Stewie going from an evil genius to some sarcastic smart baby, Meg going from a typical teenage girl to the object of everyone's hatred. You've heard it all a million times before. Family Guy has gone from being one of the funniest shows with a ton of heart to one of the most tired, trite TV shows still airing today. Alongside The Simpsons, of course. I'd say Family Guy has run out of steam, but let's be honest, it ran out of steam nearly 20 years ago. Popular consensus suggests that if it had stayed cancelled and had not been revived thanks to Adult Swim reruns, Family Guy would probably remain in high public standing. I think that might be true. The first few seasons are great, but I'm just so sick and tired of Family Guy at this point. Next up, I've got another show named after a guy whose name starts with D, but instead of Dilbert, number 9, number 7 is Doug which debuted in 1991, 30 years ago, on Nickelodeon as one of the very first Nicktoons. Finally, a 90s cartoon that didn't air in 1999. A true 90s cartoon that began in the 90s and ended in the 90s. Contain your shock, I'm just as surprised as you are. I didn't actually watch Doug growing up, I discovered it fairly late, around the beginning of middle school, when I was scrolling through my Verizon On Demand service looking for new stuff to watch and accidentally stumbled on this old Nicktoon. Doug is a fairly interesting story, the product of a children's author, Jim Jenkins, who initially pitched it as a children's book, only to be turned down by publisher after publisher until the brand new Nickelodeon network asked him to make it an animated series instead. Unlike cold cynical shows like Dilbert and Family Guy, Doug was a show created with lighthearted morals. Jenkins wanted a show with a purpose, and this is prevalent in the show itself. Each episode has some lesson that viewers could take away, and the creator, writers, and voice actors of the show tout the fact that Doug the character is exceptionally moral. The show pretty much follows Doug, a somewhat awkward and shy 11-year-old with a big heart and a wild imagination, as he attempts to navigate social situations in the town of Bluffington. Along for the ride are his best friend Skeeter, his crush Patty Mayonnaise, his bully Roger Klotz, and his dog Porkchop, along with many other iconic and important characters such as Doug's dramatic sister Judy, no-nonsense vice principal Mr. Bone, and his goofball neighbor Mr. Dink. The typical episode format saw Doug and his friends learn a lesson, which Doug would write about in his journal at the end of the day. I discovered Doug around the time I was getting ready to move and change schools. The exact premise of the show, so I immediately related to the title character. Plus, I saw a lot of myself in other parts of Doug. His morality, his shyness around the girls he liked, his big imagination. When I saw Doug, I saw a lot of how I was as a kid. Something that Jim Jenkins has gone on record stating was his intention behind making the character the way he is. I guess the show also kind of feels like Arthur, but for slightly older audiences. To be fair, I haven't seen anything of Disney's version of Doug, which I hear is much worse than the Nickelodeon original, so I guess I can't judge every part of the show's legacy. And I also haven't really been mentioning animation much, but though Doug has a nice art style, reminiscent of somewhat older-looking Peanuts characters, the animation leaves a lot to be desired at times, with clear corner cutting like repeating frames and size discrepancies visible, especially in the first season. That said, I remember this being a very solid, very charming cartoon. A lot of the other cartoons that air, and a lot of the other animated series that I've watched, are crazy, or really silly, or super serious. Doug, on the other hand, is one of the most down-to-earth shows I can think of, and honestly, that's really appreciated sometimes. 
When you're in the mood for a good cartoon and you don't feel like keeping up with the insane drama or overarching stories of shows like Gravity Falls, Avatar The Last Airbender, or BoJack Horseman, it's nice to be able to turn on an episode of Doug. And we're keeping the lighthearted, nostalgic Nicktoon train going with number six, Hey Arnold! It's a close number six, as I really do love Doug, but I think the adventures of the more street-smart characters in Hey Arnold are just a little more interesting. Hey Arnold, which premiered on Nickelodeon in 1996, follows the adventures of a kid named, you guessed it, Arnold, as he and his best friend Gerald, along with other friends and foes their age, navigate their somewhat run-down urban neighborhood of Hillwood. My personal favorite had to be Helga, Arnold's monobrowed bully who would constantly pick on him to hide the fact that she was secretly madly in love with him. Hey Arnold has been lauded for its somewhat more serious plot lines, including some character twists, like the cause of Helga's overconfidence being an inferiority complex due to her home life. There's also dramatic backstories like that of Arnold's neighbor, Mr. Wynn, who gave up his only daughter in the final months of the Vietnam War, and the infamous Pigeon Man, a mysterious misanthrope who dwells at the top of the city skyscrapers. Like Doug, Hey Arnold had a fairly friendly, likable, and moral protagonist in Arnold himself, and each episode often taught him, or other characters, lessons that the audience could take away too. In the mid to late 2010s, when Nickelodeon finally started to give up on producing new cartoons in favor of just riding the nostalgia train on their old ones, the company revived the Hey Arnold Jungle Movie, a project that had been in development hell since the show was canceled at the end of its fourth season in 2004. I actually haven't seen it, but maybe it's just because I'm being cynical. Regardless, Hey Arnold is doubtlessly one of Nickelodeon's all-time classics, and it holds a special place in the hearts of many, including myself. That said, I may love the show, but I'd still put it behind five other shows, including two more Nicktoons. Our next spot, number five, going to Rugrats. Klasky Sapo really made a lot of childhoods thinking about it. I already mentioned the Wild Thornberries and Rocket Power, but Rugrats is arguably their magnum opus. This is their most famous show by far. The first Nicktoon to make it big. Pre-SpongeBob SquarePants, this was the show they advertised everywhere. It got a spin-off show about the cast as teens, and in 2021... Again, following a fairly recent attempt by Nickelodeon to cash in on as much nostalgia as possible to distract everyone from the fact that they really stopped giving a crap about new content, Rugrats received a CGI reboot on Paramount+. Plus. I haven't seen any of it and have no plans to, but apparently it's made by the same team who made the original, including Arlene Klasky and Gabor Supo themselves. So I guess that's something. Even if the CGI animation looks like it wouldn't be out of place on a bowling alley victory screen, Rugrats aired on Nickelodeon in 1991 alongside Doug and Ren and Stimpy, which, spoiler alert, won't be on this list since I've seen basically none of it. <laughs> Rugrats follows the adventures of a bunch of babies as they go on misadventures and learn about the world. Believe it or not, Rugrats was only one of many shows to follow this trend, as towards the end of the 80s, for whatever reason, there was this huge fad in the cartoon industry to start pumping out cartoons of familiar characters severely aged down. But these shows usually went one of two ways. You had shows like Muppet Babies and Baby Looney Tunes, where the characters just sat around daycare and played with toys and drank bottles and stuff. And then you had shows like Tom and Jerry Kids and a pup named Scooby-Doo, where the characters did exactly what they did in their original source material, but they were all aged down, perhaps just to try and cash in on the fad. Rugrats went a unique route. Obviously, since they were all brand new characters and not pre-established IPs, that's already a unique route. But the writers really challenged themselves to think like babies. And so we got to explore more realistic baby lives, how they think about the world around them, how they interact with each other. Plus, we got to see parents, different parenting styles. There was something about Rugrats that just felt so real. Angelica may bully Tommy, but since they're cousins, their fathers are on perfectly fine terms with one another and hang out, catch up all the time. I really enjoy the fact that each episode usually contained two stories, one of the babies getting up to some shenanigans, and the other of the adults getting into some petty disagreement or organizing some event, trying a new diet fad, or just vibing. 
And the characters are super solid. I always thought the main Pickles family was the best. Tommy, the semi-leader of the babies, his parents, the nurturing Dee Dee and the tinkering Stu, and Stu's father, Lou, who's often tasked with keeping an eye on the babies, but ends up falling asleep in the living room armchair. I think reboots hurt the most when the original is just so timeless. The original Rugrats cartoon may not have the characters doing Fortnite dances or recording TikToks like many cartoons do today, because it's perfectly capable of establishing its own identity that will make the show as entertaining to watch in 2021 as it was in 1991 or will be in 2051. Let's take a little break from Nicktoons as we reach my four favorite cartoons of the 90s. Much like on my best cartoons of the 2000s list, the top four spots in this list were very tricky for me to rank, as they're four solid cartoons. I think the top three cartoons are a cut above the rest, at least for me. But number four is right there behind them. So let's head back to Cartoon Network for the final time. Yeah, like I said, I missed the Cartoon Cartoon era, but I'll admit, even I'm surprised there's only one Cartoon Network show on this actual list. At number four, that show is Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I'm sure Eric's not happy with me, considering the fact that, one, I only put a single Cartoon Network show on this whole list, and two, I had the gall to put Ed, Ed, and Eddie which I'm pretty sure is Eric's favorite show of all time, at number four on my list of the best 90s cartoons. Well, Eric, I am sorry to disappoint, but hey, if it makes you feel any better, Keith and Nick probably wouldn't have included it at all, so I hope that counts for something. <laughs> Shout out to Eric, my boy. And what else should count for something is the fact that Ed, Ed, and Eddie is a terrific cartoon. Number four is nothing to scoff at, after all. This is definitely one of the best cartoons of the decade. The 1999 series follows three boys, all named Edward, in their exploits as they try to get money to buy jawbreakers, or in some episodes simply just desire to be cool, as they're pretty much on the outskirts of popularity among their peers. The boys get into shenanigans, typically with some scams cooked up by Eddie and created by Double D, with Ed doing the grunt work. Sometimes the kids in the cul-de-sac fall for these scams, sometimes they don't, and sometimes there's entirely different shenanigans altogether especially by season 5, since I'm guessing the writers were probably a little tired of the same formula by that point. I haven't talked much about art styles or animation yet on this list, mainly because there really hasn't been anything to write home about, in my opinion. None of the animation on most of these shows have aged tremendously, since these cartoons are pretty old. I already mentioned as much in the first season of Doug. And while some shows' art styles are better than others, Dilbert is very faithful to the Dilbert comics, and I've personally never been a huge fan of the Klasky Supo character design. None have stood out to me yet on this list, but that changes with Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I'm not in love with the character designs, but I admit they fit the show's style perfectly. I love the fluidity of the character movement, the jagged angles of the scenery, the soft pastels of the backgrounds. Danny Antonucci, the show's creator, was big on hand-drawn animation, and in fact, this was one of the last hand-drawn cartoons airing on any major network, let alone on Cartoon Network. And I haven't needed to bring up sound design on any of these cartoon ranking lists, but Ed and Eddie is infamous for its range of silly sound effects that it uses for anything, from basic actions like closing doors and putting on clothes, to the frequent moments of the Ed's wipeouts. This sound design has even gotten memed in recent years, and for good reason. I think it's hilarious and extremely characteristic of the show. It's so strange to me that Ed, Ed and Eddie still has the longest run of any original show Cartoon Network has ever put out, airing from 1999 to 2009. And boy, there's something that has to be said for this show's killer finale, Ed, Ed, and Eddie's big picture show. Seriously, more shows should do the whole movie grand finale thing, because that's such a cool way to go out, especially for a show that never had a movie prior. I stand by the fact that all three parts of Weird Mageddon should have been condensed into one huge movie, if only a TV movie, to end Gravity Falls. And Ed, Ed, and Eddie's big picture show provided such a fantastic way for the characters to grow in the face of adversity, forcing all the cul-de-sac kids out of the immediate vicinity of the cul-de-sac for the first time in the series. I really loved the idea that the characters each break off into their own little groups, the neighborhood kids so absolutely disturbed by the latest scam 
never directly shown, that they're willing to chase the Ed seemingly across the whole state just to exact their revenge. And the final five minutes of the movie makes the whole thing, providing a perfect ending to the series. I don't want to spoil it here, so go watch it for yourself if you haven't seen it yet. I think Eric and I will probably do an episode on the Big Picture Show at some point down the future, so keep an eye out for that. But I digress. <laughs> that was a very long digression. Ed, Ed, and Eddie the Show feels like a show from a simpler time, focused on neighborhood kids getting up to shenanigans with simple stories, funny characters, a creative art style, fluid hand-drawn animation, and folksy sound design that perfectly complements the charm of the show's classic slapstick. On my list of the best cartoons of the 2000s, I mentioned that the numbers 3 and 4 slots, Chowder and Phineas and Ferb, were incredibly hard for me to decide between. Well, for this list, I had that same problem, but with the numbers 2 and 3 slots. By all means, these are absolutely fantastic cartoons, and the two switched places a dozen times during the drafting of this list. But finally, after much deliberation, one show ended up rising above, and the other settled for third place. Number 3 is South Park. Adult animated comedies seem to get pumped out by the dozen these days, and it's not hard to see why. With the rise of streaming services like Netflix, the pressure to always keep things PG, like on most cable networks, kind of dissipated. Plus, animation is generally being seen less and less as a children's medium, and more as just a storytelling medium. Recently, we've seen some great animated comedies, some not-so-great animated comedies, and some right in the middle. But if you ask me, South Park is truly a cut above the rest. See, something I didn't really touch upon in my episode on adult animated storytelling all the way back in January 2021 was the concept of satire. A lot of animated series try to lampoon social, political, or cultural issues, usually as a way for the creator and or writers to tell viewers what they believe and why. I think this is a cool concept, I guess, and I get why this happens. Politics and religion can't exactly be discussed on a children's show, so might as well do it on something geared towards older audiences, but I've always found this the easiest thing in the world to screw up. When earlier episodes of The Simpsons would touch upon social and political themes, they usually handled themselves with tact and blended into a clear story packed with humor and heart. I think that's probably the gold standard for trying to convert audiences to your political beliefs or at least make them understand where you're coming from. Unfortunately, adult comedies rarely do this anymore, opting instead to, you know, portray political figures they don't like as drooling incompetent morons, the ones they do as bold, intelligent heroes, or just randomly insert social and political talking points in the middle of the script. Characters will just look at the camera or mutter under their breath a political talking point for absolutely no reason other than to back up the presumably rather insecure writer who wants his beliefs validated. This happens in plenty of shows, from the modern Simpsons and Family Guy to most of the newer Netflix animated comedies, including BoJack Horseman, Big Mouth, and even the new Inside Job. It's not like these weird writing choices ruin entire shows, but they are often incredibly jarring and out of place. Sometimes you get adult animated shows that stray away from modern politics almost altogether, like F is for Family, though this episode was written and recorded before season 5 came out, so I hope I'm not eating my words. But sometimes an adult animated comedy comes along and strikes that fine line where creators usually don't care about politics at all, and when they do, they're not afraid to make fun of everybody. Alright, that was kind of a long digression to talk about South Park, so I do apologize, but I've been wanting to get that complaint off my chest since that adult animation episode back in January. South Park is often the master of the independent, the champion of equality, in a way that even when your beliefs are made fun of, you sometimes can't help but roll your eyes and laugh along, because you know full well they throw everybody under the bus every now and then. South Park first aired on Comedy Central in 1997, and follows the adventures of the residents of the town of South Park, Colorado. For most of the series, the protagonists were the two boys, Kyle Broflovsky and Stan Marsh, alongside their two friends, the selfish, spoiled brat Eric Cartman, and the noble-hearted, unlucky pervert Kenny McCormick. In recent years, the main cast has grown significantly to include more of the boys' friends from school, like Butters Scotch and Jimmy Velmer, 
as well as the boys' parents, particularly Gerald Bravlovsky and Randy Marsh. I have to give props not only to the creative satire and fun characters, but also the animation and art style. Everyone has rounded facial features, and the animation is done specifically to make everything, characters, buildings, environmental scenery, look like it was made with construction paper. They've done such a good job that there are people out there who would swear on a stack of Bibles this show is completely done with construction paper. But only the pilot was actually done that way. South Park has been on the air since 1997 and has recently been greenlit up to season 30. Throughout all of it, Trey Parker and Matt Stone have personally overseen the writing process for every single episode. This is huge. As other creator-driven shows I've shouted out, from Phineas and Ferb to Ed, Ed, and Eddie, lasted somewhere between 5 and 10 years. But we're talking about 25 years and counting for South Park, which is a huge amount of dedication. Even though the show often stands on a political soapbox, the beliefs of the creators usually boiling down to do what you want but shut up about it, I generally prefer the episodes that focus on the silliness or the crude personalities of the boys clashing. I won't go too in-depth into specific South Park episodes I like, as I really want to do an episode focusing on South Park's 25th anniversary next year where I count down my 25 favorite episodes, but South Park is a really solid show and perhaps the perfect work of satire if you're looking for that. Granted, I'm not always looking for that. Sometimes I'm just looking for silliness, which South Park also gives you. I watched it while it was airing in middle school and recently binged the whole thing, so whether I'm ranking it so high because it's fresh in my mind, only time will tell. If you really want to hear me gush more about South Park and what I like about it, you should go listen to the episode Nick and I did talking about the show a while back. Like I said, the race between number two and number three on this list was a tight one, but in the end, number two went to Futurama. That's right. South Park isn't my favorite adult animated series from this decade. My favorite is actually Futurama, The Simpsons' little brother that premiered on Fox only two months after the debut of Family Guy in 1999. People commonly say that Futurama is better than The Simpsons, and my response is, probably depends on what you're looking for. Despite having a similar art style and writing staff, one is a show about a family in a somewhat typical American town. The other is a show about a pizza delivery boy who accidentally cryogenically freezes himself for 1,000 years, awakens in the year 3000, moves in with a robot, develops romantic feelings for a mutant cyclops, and gets a job working for an intergalactic delivery company. So, yeah, same creative mind, very different premise. Both shows are terrific, though. Well, were terrific in The Simpsons' case. You really can't go wrong either way. Futurama has great characters, my personal favorites being the misanthropic, self-absorbed robot Bender and the self-deprecating, oafish alien Dr. Zoidberg. But the show blows it out of the water with its writing. Futurama is absolutely hilarious, with constant quips, one-liners, and plots that made me laugh out loud frequently while watching. There are certain parts of the show I'm not crazy about. Every single relevant celebrity and historical figure freezing their heads and just hanging out in the year 3000 for the sole sake of cameos and jokes was a gimmick I got really sick of after a while. And though I liked Bender's big score a lot, the other two Futurama movies, Bender's Game and The Beast with a Billion Backs, feel like dragged out really long episodes. Bender's big score did too, but I felt it was handled a lot better with some cool character developments and plot twists. Plus, much like the other adult animated shows I mentioned earlier, Futurama does have the politics for the sake of politics bit, quite often having Al Gore on the show and treating him like a wise, mature guru. For reference, South Park famously portrayed him as an attention-seeking blowhard. Call me a cynic, but in a perfect world, I think all politicians would be portrayed as attention-seeking egotists, not just the ones from a political party you don't like. But I guess that could just be me. So if South Park has cooler animation and both shows have fun writing and solid characters, what exactly puts Futurama over the edge for me? Well, I think Futurama is just capable of being more emotionally mature than South Park. 
There's nothing wrong with watching a show just to laugh at the character's antics, which is why I watch South Park. But with Futurama, yeah, you can watch funny episodes and laugh throughout, but every now and then the writers smartly throw in an episode that kind of pulls at your heartstrings. South Park basically never does this, and when something sad happens, it's either in the context of a joke or immediately precedes a joke. It almost feels like it thinks it's too good to get real sometimes, or maybe it's afraid to do so since the writers know most people watch South Park for the humor and satire, not the emotion. Futurama lets the characters be sad sometimes, and recognizes that a young man being frozen for a thousand years is kind of a depressing reality, as his family has been dead for centuries and the world he knew is gone forever. Futurama is one of those very few shows I know that can jump effortlessly from genuinely hilarious comedy to moments that seriously pull on the heartstrings, often throughout the same episode. And for being able to achieve that level of emotional maturity without abandoning the cause of good humor, I think it edges out South Park and barely earns itself the number two position on this list. Which means we have reached number one. Nine other shows have come and gone. Rocket Power, Dilbert, Family Guy, Doug, Hey Arnold, Rugrats, Ed, Ed, Nettie, South Park, Futurama. Now, if you've listened to my other two lists, you'll know I have a habit of picking pretty predictable top spots. Is that going to be the case here? Yeah, it is. Number one is SpongeBob SquarePants. Call it anticlimactic if you must, but there's a reason why SpongeBob is one of the most popular TV shows of my entire generation, and that's because it's an amazing show. Debuting on Nickelodeon in 1999, SpongeBob SquarePants follows the adventures of SpongeBob SquarePants as he... Do I really need to explain? Honestly, is there a single person listening right now who doesn't get Spongebob? Well, believe it or not, I actually have some close friends whose parents didn't let them watch Spongebob growing up. I had to guess, I'd wager they probably weren't allowed to watch most of the other shows on this list either. Anyway, for you non-Spongebob kids out there, first off, I'm sorry you had to deal with a lifetime of jokes you can't understand. But second off, here's your explanation. A friendly, childish, anthropomorphic sponge named Spongebob lives in a pineapple in the undersea city of Bikini Bottom. Absorbent and yellow and porous is he. He works as a fry cook at the Krusty Krab, owned and operated by Eugene Krabs in one of the most popular restaurants in the ocean due to its incredibly beloved Krabby Patty Burger, which business rival Sheldon Plankton is constantly trying to steal for his own. SpongeBob hangs out with his friends, the Dopey Patrick, the Brainiac Sandy, and the Irritable Squidward. That last friendship is incredibly one-sided. He goes to work, he tries to earn his driver's license, or in this case his boating license, gets in all sorts of shenanigans. That's the synopsis for SpongeBob SquarePants The Show, and I'm sure you could guess, does not do the show justice at all. You got stellar writing and solid characters dishing out these great lines. Much like Avatar The Last Airbender and Total Drama Island on my favorite cartoons of the 2000s list, I don't think I could pick a favorite SpongeBob character if my life depended on it. You got SpongeBob, himself a total original, and Patrick, SpongeBob's faithful best friend who always seems to think he's smarter than he actually is. The money-grubbing Mr. Krabs and the ingenious Plankton, the overworked and slightly insane Mrs. Puff, and of course everyone's favorite punching bag, Squidward Tennis Balls. Oh, sorry, tentacles. With great writing and iconic characters, you also have to throw in a wonderfully creative art style and fluid animation. Even the music and sound effects have become iconic by this point. Most of the scenery and sound design is meant to elicit feelings of a beach somewhere in Hawaii, and the sound designers do this excellently. You also get some nautical themes every now and then, like you're out on an old pirate ship, when the musical instruments shift from ukuleles to accordions. But alas, there is still an elephant in the room. Solid characters, wonderful writing, solid animation. This stuff is really only true for the first few years of Spongebob. It's first three or four seasons and it's first movie. Though I really do like the animation and art style of that Sponge on the Run movie. Alongside shows like The Simpsons and Family Guy, Spongebob has been going on for more than 20 years at this point, and it's really showing its age. There were years when the show was just flat out awful from a writing standpoint, the years from the mid-2000s to the mid-2010s, 
And since then, from what I've heard, and I've seen bits and pieces when the TV's on, the writing has improved somewhat, but seemingly at the cost of the art style. The characters are animated with such fluid, exaggerated features, it doesn't even feel like the same show anymore. The show also got some cringy spin-offs in 2021, but it's not fair to judge the main SpongeBob SquarePants series by those. It'd be like trying to judge Jimmy Neutron for Planet Sheen. As for the seasonal rot, resulting in inferior writing and animation, well, other shows I really like have struggled with it. I know I docked points for Family Guy, though, so why does SpongeBob get a pass? Well, at least in the United States, where I'm from, this show has become one of the most iconic TV shows, or really even works of media, for a generation of children. Maybe more generations if they keep watching. I mean, what other work of fiction do you know that has both a big-budget Broadway musical and a type of Kraft macaroni and cheese? Keith, Nick, and I, along with my brother Brandon, were hanging out recently, and we decided to just quite randomly turn on an episode of Spongebob after one of us had a quote from it. We ended up watching two episodes and laughing at nearly every single line. I don't know what it is about Spongebob's writing, but it's gone on to become one of the most quoted works of fiction. Again, at least where I'm from. International listeners, you guys are going to have to let me know if you had Spongebob where you grew up. So Spongebob gets to nab the number one spot for a similar reason why Total Drama got so high on my last list. Not only is it a solid show, but it's proven so relevant and significant in my life that I can look past the crappy later seasons and consistently go back to my favorites. Something I really don't do that much with Family Guy or Fairly Odd Parents or other shows like that. Spongebob has probably been the most iconic TV show in my life, if not the most iconic work of media I've ever consumed. Its endless quotability and rewatchability have persisted from my childhood into the 2020s with no end in sight. And that, combined with its wonderful writing, characters, music, and art style, cements it as the best cartoon to come out of the 1990s. At least in my opinion. Well, that's it. Those are the 10 best cartoons of the 1990s, at least to me. And that marks the end of a series that was never really supposed to be a series at all. My favorite cartoons of the 2010s was the first episode I ever did for Geeks Crossing as kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing I'd been thinking about after watching YouTuber SaberSparks video on the same topic. Eventually, I was inspired to do a sequel episode, or prequel episode, about my favorite cartoons of the 2000s, since that was a decade I was much more familiar with cartoon-wise. And once I recorded that one, I knew the final decade of cartoons I was familiar with, the 1990s, would be a perfect way to end things. That said, there are probably still ways this series could continue, four ways in particular. I could do a top 10 worst cartoons list, but I don't think I'd really have enough. When I watch a show and I don't like it, I usually just turn it off and don't bother finishing it. And if I watched a show and disliked it, why on earth would I want to spend my time re-watching it? <laughs> I suppose I could branch off and do a top 10 live action shows for the 2010s, 2000s, and 90s, but I feel like that's a lot more research I'd have to do because I don't really watch a ton of TV. Never really watched that much live action TV in the past. The third possibility is a list of the top 10 cartoons of the 2020s, which, yeah, that is the natural continuation, but I'll have to wait eight years to, to make that list, so uh, stay tuned, I guess. <laughs> but the fourth and most likely possibility at some point in the future, probably not for at least a year, maybe more, I could do a top 10, maybe top 20, best cartoons of all time, pitting all three of my main lists against each other and potentially introducing shows from the 80s and the early 2020s into the mix as well. I think that would be fun, especially seeing how much my thoughts on shows will have changed by then, and seeing how different lists stack up against each other. But I've got a lot of shows I still want to watch and rewatch before I do that. So again, gonna be a while. Until then, or actually until you hear my voice again, I'm Matt, and this has been another episode of Geeks Crossing. What are your favorite cartoons of the 1990s? Did I do any of your favorites dirty? Did I rank some shows too high for your liking? Let me know in our Discord. Link is in the description of this episode, as always, along with a link to our Instagram, at Geeks Crossing. 
Be sure to tell your friends and families about us, especially the 90s kids in your life. Show some love to Keith and Nick at Nuclear Bacons and at Cryptoluck Gaming on Twitch. And continue to support us wherever you're listening to us right now, whether that be on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, or Audible. I'm Matt, and if I'm lucky, Mr. Talent will rub his tentacles on my art.